Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome back to part two of the long form experiment with my good friend and coworker, Alex Calvacante. In the previous episode, he and I got into dicing up the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And today we're getting into a Desirata. I'm totally butchering that name. I practiced it a thousand times. Alex, I'm sorry, but this is amazing. Alex brought this to me. I had never heard of it before, but this poem is so many different levels. It's wide and it's deep. And Alex and I get into our takeaways from it. And it's not rehearsed. We, we didn't go into this with a bunch of planning and comparing notes at all. Like the previous episode, it's just, you know, where, where our takeaways are from it as we're hearing it and bouncing things off of one another. Again, this is kind of an experimental format to the traditional long-form interviews that we're doing. But the thread that I'm pulling here on these is that I find that it's important for us to have a philosophical grounding and foundations, especially on wisdoms that have withstood, you know, stood the test of time and how that can be very important anchor for us to help guide us and give us a compass and just fill our buckets uh, as we may need them. The dojos that we've been having of, of lately have been pretty serious, recognizing that many of us are going through an amplified level of stress and anxiety and uh, you know a remedy for it, I do believe, is talking about what Alex and I you know get into here, just examining very deep and powerful principles and values, you know, really trying to put those into a conceptual framework of how they may fit into today's times, and then ideas on how we can put it into practice and to become better versions of ourselves, with the idea being if we can be a better version of ourselves through understanding these wisdoms and, and, and solidifying and crystallizing them, then we can be better for those in our lives that we're seeking to, to connect with, whether it's our friends, whether it's our family, whether it's serving other people with disabilities. So having a, a good philosophical foundation based on ancient time-tested wisdoms and then being able to then take that forward into our daily lives to put it into practice to help make a world a better place, especially during a time where we're just all being more challenged than ever. Uh, so that's the purpose of these experimental formats. I really do hope that you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoyed having them. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Independent Life Podcast, part two of the experiment of wisdom with uh, my good, dear friend here, Alex, who works at our center, who I learned constantly so much for, uh, from, and you know, not just uh, about you know how to do better in terms of uh, running a center and uh, promoting independent living, but you know how to live a better life. So, Alex. You have a, a very good, I don't know if it's a poem or song lyrics or, or what it is, but you've shared it with me and it's super profound. And, you know, it's like, we got to talk about this one. We got to get into it. Like in our previous episode uh, that we had from the, the peace prayer from St. Francis of Assisi, you're going to have to help me out with the title here. Um, and then you're going to bring it with the important words that it has to, has to offer us. And then you and I are going to chop it up. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. Great to be here again and to be talking about these wonderful topics. And you're very generous. And I hope to be able to 
really be that person that you say that I am and I'm working towards, you know, striving for higher ideals and doing better as it's said in in this, in this poem. And it's called Desiderata, Desiderata. And I was looking for the meaning of Desiderata is that something that is needed or wanted. Integrity, as an example, right? Integrity was a Desideratum, something that is basically desired right and and this poem is really like a counsel for the ages right and in many ways like i mentioned in the previous episode is it's very connected to that to me right i see a a a, a connection between this poem and the prayer of, of uh, saint francis of assisi as it's attributed to saint francis that prayer is desita rata is that portuguese uh, no, it's probably yeah, either Italian, Italian or, or Latin, right? You see, the ratum sounds like Latin. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you said whether it's a poem or the lyrics of a song, it's to my knowledge, it's a poem. This gentleman called Les Grain, he kind of like put it into a song that's from the 70s, 60s or 70s. And uh, he's got this very deep, you know, soothing voice. And there's some music and some chorus to it in a song that even goes on to say different things so it's really really cool so let me get into it and then maybe we can break it down part by part all right where he begins by saying go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence as far as possible as far as possible without surrender be on good terms with all persons. You speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others. Even the dull and ignorant, they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain and bitter for always there will be greater and less in persons than you are. That in of itself is already a mouthful, right? There's a lot going on in, in this particular paragraph, right? Do you want to chop that up and then we can get into the other parts? Absolutely. Let's let's uh all right. Let's go little by little. What do you think? What do you what do you think is best? Right, yeah, yeah. So the first thing that jumps out to me is uh when you mentioned be placid, you know, among the noise. And for me, there's this concept of stillness is the key. Uh, there's a book by Ryan Holiday. I'm a big fan of his and he's popularized stoicism. But the idea is is that you know, life can be very fast and noisy and there's so much going on. And while there's so much of that happening, dare I say, even the chaos and velocity of life, that there's a way to center ourselves in it, to slow things down, to see with more clarity, to, to, to be able to um, have that kind of like a, a, a boat, I would imagine, like in, you know, pretty heavy seas has this anchor that goes deep below the surface of the water to the, to the place where it's actually very still at the bottom you know, of the ocean, deep ocean, and how it can just anchor us among the turbulent kind of times. And for me, I've seen where that has been so helpful in my own life. So I, I used to um, work in the restaurant industry and you know, at a restaurant that would get very busy during peak times. And we would always call that like getting in the weeds where the kitchen wouldn't be able to keep up with the demands of the orders that were coming in. 
and it would be so overwhelming. There's so much movement going on. And it was always like um, this uh, challenge to keep up with the pace. And it was just like one small mistake, you know, can be a domino effect and, and put everybody behind and people's food would be laid. And you know, that would lead to people being angry and people, you know, and it, we call that being in the weeds. And it was so interesting to me to see how people responded during those times. You know, people that were anxious responded with anxiousness. People that were uh, very organized were very organized. People that, you know, were kind of mellow were still mellow. I mean, it was just really interesting for me, but I always looked at that as a good litmus test to see um, how I could bring stillness into a, a very high stress and chaotic situation. And for me, that was good practice for later on in life now, you know, having the responsibilities of running a center, you know, in having kids and a family, things can get very intense and move very quickly. How to ground myself, you know, during those times. So that's the first part that jumps out to me. It was the beginning of there. Indeed, indeed. And it makes a lot of sense, right? It, it reminds me of, of that saying, like, when things get tough, the tough get going, right? <laughs> uh, when things go tough, the tough get going. And in a similar way is like being able to find that that calm space, even amidst the haste, right? Even amidst all the, the bustling and, and the, the nuttiness and, and the stress of life overall in the world. And gosh, man, God forbid, if you turn on the news, then that gets amplified, right? Not that I, I don't want people to watch yeah. It's important to be informed, right? But there's got to be a balance and making sure that we have good access to balanced information, right? That is not biased, right? And that's even a challenge. But we can find well, it's it. It's about managing our inputs. Mm -hmm. Like to me, like you're, I, I want you to continue your, your line of thought. But as you're saying that, one of the things that's helping me, I think it was said in the, the, the poem you just read, you know, saying placid during these times is I think we're living in an age now more than ever where there's so much complication, so much distraction, so much noise that's going on out of there that I'm finding I'm having to be very selective about what I'm taking in. I call it managing my inputs because I'm, I'm subject to becoming overwhelmed if, if it's just, you know, an open door and I'm just absorbing everything that I have possible access to all at once. Like you said, the news, like we can get news feeds you know, from the moment we wake up to the time we go to sleep in so many different directions. So, um, yeah, managing our inputs, I think, is a huge way to, to stay tranquil during you know, chaotic times. Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. And then and even, if, for example, you know, when we have classes and we have some students that have autism and that sometimes deal with anxiety, for example. Right. And one of the things that I encourage them to do, well, one, you know, oftentimes we learn and try to learn about mindfulness and meditation and slowing things down. And so mm. one of the things that we try to bring out the information is, is like when things become very nerve wracking and they feel like anxiety is beginning to take place. It's like try to slow things down. Right. That brings it back to, you know, go placidly amidst the noise and haze. Like try to find yourself in a space if forever, you know, whenever possible, where you just breathe and take one bit of information at a time, because if we try to gather everything at the same time, it may, be, it may become overwhelming. But if we do one thing at a time and then slow everything down in slow motion, that can help us sort of be able to kind of cross any any kind of episode that we may be subject to having, right? And and so that's that's key, right? And and it, and again, as we're all learners and students of life, that's what it's about is like trying to figure out that way to 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 find ourselves in that sweet spot of being, of doing that and then remembering yeah. when the situation when it's on, right? That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm so glad you're bringing up like meditation, going back to the breath can really center us and ground ourselves during those times where there's just so much to, to get absorbed in. And that awareness is the ticket to ride, mm -hmm. you know, like being fully aware and present in the moment uh, and not just swept away with the current of incessant thought and thinking and being, you know, trapped in that spell, so to speak, and, and to be able to step out of it's huge. Yeah. The, the next part of that poem I, I find pretty interesting, and, and it says, you know, be on good terms with, uh, I don't know if it says all people, but, you know, to be on good terms with people, I think, you know, having that kind of equanimity is huge. So when I'm not on good terms with people, there's just this disequilibrium within me. Yeah. You know, there's mm -hmm. just something that's not sitting right. You know, even if it's people that are friends, right? You know, like, and, and, or family, we're all subject to, to being in those places where, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't get closure on, on this conversation mm -hmm. that we had, or, you know, we kind of left things, you know, unfinished business, you know, kind of things. It doesn't even have to be like reaching the level of, you know, needing necessarily forgiveness, or it could. But just that, just make sure that we're in good standing, you know, with people, you know, within ourselves or, or within them. For me, that seems to be uh, a key element to just having inner peace mm -hmm. and, and being, being on good terms. And just before that, it says, as far as possible without surrender. Right? Look how interesting the choice of words there, right? It's like, it's finding that balance where, you know, being on good terms with all people but maintain your integrity and make sure that you're respecting and being respected. That's what I read into this, mm, you know, that's a and, good one. and making sure that, you know, we have our space and it's recognized as well. Right. And that's true. And it's like, and to me, the way I read it is like, there's a couple of different things. It's like, you know, at the same time, you know, avoid drama. You know, that's what I'm trying to seek for in my life these days. I've suffered enough with drama. And uh, yeah. And at the same time, it's one of those things, too, that I've been learning. It's taken me a while. You know, it's like, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? <laughs> yeah. Why does it have to be either or? But it so is, right? right. You know, the, it, but, it, it totally does. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I was going to actually <laughs> complement that with, and sometimes you can have both. You can be right and okay. be happy. Right. Right. It's finding okay, the good. right time and finding, All for example, above. choosing your battles. Right. Choosing yeah, your battles. Right. right? And then uh, I even uh, there was this funny thing that was I have to say it was a meme or something. It was like it was something like this monk, you know, Asian monk was teaching his his disciple or the student saying, you don't need to argue with people to to understand that you're, you know, to know that you're right or anything like that. And sometimes you just have to agree with a person and then it's oh, i don't really agree with that that uh that point of view <laughs> and then the monk says okay you're right <laughs> uh-huh yeah because there's so many contrarians just for the sake of being a contrarian yeah that, that seems to be out there it does seem like there there is a especially like in the twitter verse and stuff like that like people are just contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian like and and that kind of stuff but i really like what you said about drama and is that in the prayer is that the actual word that's used no, in there no it's or, not, or this no, prayer of the no, poem no. okay but but i like your takeaway from it because for me this seems like my my interpretation of of, of drama is that like it's um self-inflicted um you know not necessary you know to sprinkle on added things that don't need to be there like life is already challenging enough we don't need to add an extra layer of, of drama to the situation. You know, and that kind of almost to me seems like these unforced errors that we get into. Like, do I really need to have 
an opinion about this other thing that really has nothing to do with me and to get all worked up about it and create more drama in, in my own life when this, you know, I don't know, Elon Musk buying Twitter. I, you know, like I don't even use Twitter and this, that and the other, or like maybe it is a profound impact and, and I should have an opinion, but it's just like, why would I even want to like get into a conversation about that with somebody from, from the world I live in? Because it doesn't matter to me. I don't need to get all you know serious and dramatic. Maybe I do, you know, maybe I'm misinformed and, and need to understand how that's going to change the world. But at the same time, there's just a lot of issues out there that I don't need to have an opinion about. And I seem, you know, we seem to live in a world that's constantly eliciting our opinion. Comment on this. What are your feedback about that? And to me, that stokes this drama that's so unnecessary and takes our energy. Yeah. And believe me, I, I say that because when I do, like, you know, when I take stock on these things too, I realize how much drama I could avoid it. I could have avoided right? it for myself and others yeah. right? because I was right. Right. But then I chose not to be happy because in those particular situations, had I just not said anything, it, even if I was right, not said anything, I would have been much yeah. happier. You know, so that's, right? and I'm speaking from experience. Like, I'm not pointing fingers anywhere. Like, I have, with me. I have come, you know, to terms with like, oh, I've learned, you know, I could have done so many things better. Right? And who can maybe think about that and think about their own lives about that. Right. But what you said is really interesting because it segues into this because there's, there is, of course, you know, a lot of positivity in, in, in this course. Right. That's the right way to say it, you know, and being uh -huh. able to, to discuss opinions and ideas, ideas, right? And so the, the social media can be positive in those ways, unless people sure, are pointing tool, right? and creating drama. That's not cool, right? But for example, the next one says, speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, right? Mm. And then even the dull and ignorant, they too have their story. So once uh, um, somebody told me, uh, a friend of mine whose parents were yogis and stuff and they, they, you know, they they, 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 they were into a lot of really interesting things and meditation and yoga. And the father of this, my friend of mine said that every human being is, is very special in the world because each one of them has a story to tell, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very connected to this, right? They, they too have their story, right? Even the dull and ignorant, right? And 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 who's for us to say anyways, right? Who's dull and who's ignorant? It's all a merit. Like matter, we all are. Like to me, I, I feel like that's know? all of us, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, because yeah. we're all ignorant. Mm -hmm. and, and believe me, I'm, I'm dull too. For me, that was a comment for everybody. Yeah. And the next one, avoid loud and aggressive persons. There are vexations to the spirit. Isn't that so true? I've been around people yeah. growing up in a dysfunctional family. And, and, and experiencing sometimes a lot of loud noises and aggression and everything and, and how sometimes that lacking peace. And so when I grew older, I was just like, all right, I think I'm done with that. Also drama, right? <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to avoid that. I try to avoid that like the plague too. You know, and, and when I heard that part of it, I, I, I thought immediately of like, say, politicians mm -hmm. or leaders that speak very loudly and uh, with aggression. And, and I think nowadays, like um, in some ways, people are uh, really drawn to people that speak very f confidently with certain impenetrable certainty. Mm -hmm. Bravado. We live in uncertain. Yeah, bravado. Yeah, and, it's, and we live in uncertain times and people like it when someone comes across as highly confident. But it's, to me, it comes across as arrogant mm -hmm. and, and lack of humility. You know, I think it's Eckhart Tolle who wrote The Power of Now that says, like, you know, a lot of times when people act this way, it's really 
um, you know, weakness masquerading itself as strength. Mm -hmm. So when I see now people, you know, speaking with this just high, high degree of, of certainty and that they're right and doing it very loudly, for me, I see it as a, you know, they're insecure. They have something they fear or to me, it's almost like a sign, mm -hmm. you know, where, where in this poem it's saying, you know, speak your truth quietly and maybe even firmly. Um, and, and to me, that resonates so much more than people that are just like beating on their chest, you know, kind of, so to speak. To quietly to and clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rightly and clearly. Yeah, quiet, yeah. Quietly and clearly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, and especially the content, right? And if somebody is, does, you know, speak with bravado and everything. And, and, but if the content is something that is inclusive, the content is something that is, that also brings, um, justice and brings goodness collectively then you know we can understand that they're passionate but like if all of a sudden it's exclusive and it's pointing uh -huh. fingers towards yeah. particular types of people and so forth and my tribe to, over your yeah, tribe and trying yeah. to demonize others then you know what is the sense you know is that really you know to that causes vexations you know, if it causes vexations to any spirit then we have to, to see if that content is really good and if that person actually knows what they're talking about right in the grand scheme of life in the world and things right and uh and the next one too uh the one that says if you compare yourself with others you may become vain and bitter one. right for, vain and bitter yeah for always there will be greater and less a person than you are isn't that an amazing kind of i life? love that i yeah. love that so much i can't even tell you that and, I, and i've said it many times on the podcast that I think it was Roosevelt, uh, Eleanor, uh, I believe Roosevelt said that, you know, social comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And like the poem says, like, there's always going to be less or better. Mm -hmm. And so what, what happens to me that when I compare myself upwards and I, you know, see myself as better than the other, then I'm subject to pride mm -hmm. and yeah. ego. Um, and then if I, you know, compare myself downwards to somebody and, oh, they got it better, they got it more. I wish I had their reputation. I wish I had their, what am I then? I'm just jealous mm -hmm. uh, wishing what they had and those other kind of things and, and where does it all come from comparing and maybe there's some i don't know if we're wired for it evolutionarily i don't know but it seems like a lot of people are, are always gonna compare i'm taller i'm shorter have more have less have more intel i don't know mm -hmm. it just it seems like you know unless i'm paying very close attention to this to nip it right away from my consciousness like anytime i catch myself like in a, in a comparison mode i just feel like it is truly the thief of joy mm -hmm. yeah back in um part of in another almost another incarnation in this life i i worked in a corporation it was a software where people did very well for themselves and i was living in dallas and I was actually going back to, you know, people may think that I'm, the only thing I watch is the I Am documentary. But it was when I was uh, checking this documentary out, maybe it was before, but I was talking about, you know, we were talking about this thing about, you know, simplicity. And I was talking to this uh, sales executive, right? And talking about how we human beings really need very little to be happy and, and, and how much there needs to be more equality in the world when there's so many people suffering. And he goes, yeah, man, but out here in this Dallas area in some circles, especially where I live, is like keeping up with the Jonases, you know? And I say, what's that mean exactly? It's like, yeah, my neighbor got something, this brand new, very nice, you know, barbecue. I got to get another one that's nicer than this. But that's like, mm -hmm. that happens everywhere in, in this world, you know, in affluence per se or, or in general, right? But, you know, it goes back to that. I am documentary that we mentioned in the previous episode too, is like, really, how much really do we need to be happy? And how happy are we when others are not, right? Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, well, there's this, 
there's this concept of enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and again, this comes from uh, Ryan Holiday, but he says, he talks about this, uh, this time when, uh, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, the author of Catch-22, is at a party. I think, I think his name was Joseph Keller. And it's at this very rich person's house. He's like a billionaire. As, as Ryan Holiday recounted, he says, you know, Joseph Keller is kind of needling Kurt Vonnegut and saying, like, you know, you might have wrote Catch-22, but this guy, you know, the house that they're at the party with, made more money, you know, at work this past week than you'll make in your whole lifetime. And then Kurt Vonnegut turns to him and says, you know what, though? I have something that he doesn't have. And he's like, what's that? Enough. <laughs> I have enough, you know? And, and so like poverty, as defined by some of the Stoics, is always wanting more. You know, and there, there's plenty of people with a ton of materialism and, and money that are always wanting more. So, you know, an interesting research came out talking about, you know, athletes, you know, professional athletes who are making like a half a million dollars, you know, a year, you know, in sports, but they're not happy because they sh- the one locker down is a person making millions of dollars a year. There's incidences that occur on uh, airplanes that have to get redirected and landed, you know, land early uh, because there's people in conflict on the airplane and they look at all these different variables time of the flight length of the flight you know where where the flights are going to and coming from thousands of variables they said the most predictive variable of when uh, you know there's a you know altercation on a flight is if the passengers have to walk you know the passengers that are in coach if they have to walk through first class or not the passengers that walk through first class those planes you know, more likely to have an altercation where if the passengers and coach board right immediately into coach and don't walk through first class, less altercations. And the idea was that this uh, social comparison is happening. Wow. Like, you know, potentially that maybe riding in coach isn't enough. You know, I got to do this in first class and I can't do it. For, why should they, you know, and all this other stuff. But that was kind of the takeaway from the, the research. Yeah, that perspective. It means so much, right? Hey, bitter in vain yeah you know the comparisons yeah yeah i'd like to switch it up a little bit how about if i read the whole thing and then let's the go let's time, go we let's, can sort of like yeah because it's a long let's poem do it. check this out beautiful this is a council right there's so many so many beautiful council here um next the next part it starts like this enjoy your achievements as well as your plans keep interested in your own career however humble it is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. Let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection, neither be cynical about love. For in the the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. And then in the song, and I have to see if it's in the poem as well, but it goes like this. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars, you have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, 
keep peace with your soul and with all the sham and drudgery and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be careful, strive to be happy. Wow. Right? It's this wow. So much counsel. It's a lot there. Uh-huh. It's a lot there. There's like yeah. 10 episodes there. Yeah. <laughs> so we can quickly go through this. Like enjoy your achievements as well as your Jump plans. Jump in. Right? Jump in, Alex. So how yeah, do you see enjoy up. your achievements as well as your plans? Well, I love that one. And I'm not sure exactly is pointing to, to where I took it uh, as you were saying that. But again, going back to Stoic philosophy, they say to treat your success and failures the same. So don't get too high on your own supply. And then don't get so down on yourself if you don't achieve your, your goals and the, you know, or your, your dreams or, or, your, or you're not succeeding, so to speak. I kind of like that equanimity, that equilibrium there where there's this moderation, there's this temperance with an event, you know, that happens. And it's really our opinion sometimes of like, Mm -hmm. yes, I did very well. This happened. And and so therefore, you know, I I should be happy or, you know, this happened and uh, and I didn't uh, succeed at it. It almost seems to me that there's this, uh, it works for me because then, you know, I don't get too carried away and prideful if I succeed at something. And at the same time, I don't beat myself up if I don't achieve what I was uh, going after as well. For me, there's that moderation. I think it, that's what jumps out to me. What, what about you? I, I agree. I agree. And also the way I see it too is like, there's a, one of my, the singers that I really like, her, her early stuff was really good too, India Ari. Uh, oh, yeah. She had a song Beautiful. that says, life is a journey, not a destination, right? And it's a saying, right? Oh, it's a saying. So like true. You enjoy the journey as well as the d- destinations for your plans. Right? Yeah. Enjoy making plans, enjoy thinking and designing your life and, and thinking about the goodness and the good things you want to do. Enjoy that moment because every moment is precious and it's fleeting, right? Uh-huh. And then when you uh, you know reach your achievements, all right, great. You, but you had joy the whole time. And the next part where it says, keep interest in your own career, that is so true, right? Because it goes back to, you know, whether or not we compare ourselves to others or not. Oh, but I have uh-huh. this job, but that person such, has such a much greater job and such a better job. And we need to enjoy what we have and then we need to be interested in what we have, right? And be grateful, right? And because however humble, you know, it's a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. And it's like one of those check boxes I mentioned about happiness in the previous episode, right? About like, you know, uh-huh. if we have something and if we have a way to, to, to sustain ourselves, we need to be very fortunate and grateful for it, right? And the capacity yeah. to do it, right? And there's a story about this man in Brazil and he's now a motivational speaker now. He's well known in Brazil. And you know what he did for a living for a long time? He would collect plastic bottles and cans to sell in bulk, right? Just like, you know, in, when I was a kid, you know, I used to collect. And even as an adult, um, I collected, I, I managed a, um, uh, an apartment complex and we had this huge recycling bins and that we would exchange that, right? And China used to buy all those stuff for rec- re- recycling. I don't even know how they do it nowadays. But that's what he did. And that's what he did for a long time. And then, but he always had a very positive and outgoing and grateful opportunity that he had a job and attitude. He became an entrepreneur and now he's a millionaire, believe it or not. And he talks about how he came from nothing and made something out of himself. But he was always fortunate about what he had. He's, he, he stresses of that, right, on that. Well, that kind of goes back to what you're saying. You know, it, it's it, we don't really ever arrive to a place and, and it's the journey. Mm-hmm. 
that, that really matters. And, and I find that just to be so true. Like if we don't enjoy the process, like the process is the outcome in a way, yeah. not to this like destination. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, I've had certain things that, you know, have been destination oriented. So when I, I remember when I was an athlete, you know, we would be training for this one specific competition and, you know, spending months and focusing and then the competition happens. And, you know, even if I did well and achieved my goals, like that satisfaction window was short lived. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, okay, I felt good for a little bit, but then it was on to the next thing. And then it's on to the next thing. And it's on to the next thing. And I hear this in other people like entrepreneurs. They have this idea of how much money they want to make or how much product they want to sell. Like once they get to it, then they're on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Then they're on to the next thing. Yeah. And if they're not really enjoying the process, like for me, if I didn't enjoy the training that's going towards this competition to where I'm achieving something, then what's the use? You know, you're just on a treadmill at that point. I, I do love what you're saying about, you know, this more about the journey than a destination. Cause once we get to said destination, it's like, okay, where's next? You know, it starts to kick in, uh, in very short order. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you an example is, you know, the center back in October, November, December through January, we were implementing, we're actually planning out some projects, right? Software development mm-hmm. projects and, and tools. And once we implemented the work got going, there was a feeling that changed, you know, because, oh, it's done. Now the work is going and it's done great things. It's flowing. But yeah. when I think about the joy that I felt in the planning and the organization and in, in designing it, there was so much joy in it, you know, that right. it was almost anticlimactic when we delivered it in a way, right? And that's why I was like, I'm glad I took joy in the planning of it as well, Yeah. you know? Because when we when when we achieve the okay, done, you know, now we need to go and and continue to improve it, right? So there's many little many lessons that we can learn along the way. Going forward here, uh, keeping interested in your own career, it's a it's a real possession, right? In the challenge, changing fortunes of time, says exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery, but let this not blind you to a virtue there is in the world. Many persons strive for high ideals and everywhere life is full of heroism. And it's true, right? We have Interesting. To do, yeah. So what can yeah. you tell us about that? Well, you know, so the trickery thing and finding virtue still in the world despite the trickery. So there, there's some definitely some things that, that jump out when, when, when you said that. So as far as the Independent Living Network goes, um, we have a presence in Tallahassee. Um, because we're we're really helping to push policies that help you know people with disabilities and to try and correct some of the you know inequities that exist. There's all kinds of trickery in political waters. You mm-hmm. know um, things are are said, then things happen behind doors, and what was said, you know people go back on, and and there's games that people play, and uh, all kinds of conniving uh, that happens. And it can be very hard and disheartening, you know, especially for those of us that are genuine and authentic and are pushing for real, you know, social change that's equitable and and helps people that are marginalized. And we can see where, you know, simple changes that could be made can really help people when we're, you know, working with people who then have other agendas that are not seen. It can be very disheartening for me at times, you know, and and feel like, you know, what's the sense in all this? And you're starting to question people's hearts and humanity. And that's never good to do that. Yet at the same time, the virtues I'm learning, you know, during this time about how to how to be patient, 
how to say things differently, how to forgive, how to understand that I can only change what I can change, you know, that's in my control. I can't control other people. And so there's a, a great amount of, you know, doing the best I can, but letting go and not resisting, not being reactive, not being judgmental, not necessarily being attached, mm-hmm. you know, to the outcome. And so I, I find a lot there, you know, like, like, yes, there's people that may be behaving, you know, with, with trickery, but there's also virtue that can be found and surfaced along the way. That's what jumped out to me. Yeah. And there's, there, there are the good uh, will intention people, right? That the heroes are out there and they're doing their work. I think like, you know, right now I'm thinking of Malala as an example, right? Somebody that went through, lived through a lot of really horrible things and the trickeries and, and the things of the world. Give a little background to Malala. Malala is this young lady from Pakistan, if I remember correctly. And she was shot in the face by the Taliban. Right? Because she protested because she wanted to go to school. Let's go to school. Right. Yeah. And then she was taken to a hospital and she was transported to a hospital in London. And there she was able to, they saved her life. Uh, and then she went to school in England and she, she's become, she won the Nobel Prize. And she's become one of the heroes, you know, a young person. Greta Thunberg is another example, you know, fighting t- to combat global warming. These young people who have high ideals and filled with heroism, some as some examples, right? Oh, and there's so many others, right? And then, um, so they're all out there. And then we can see what we can do to support their efforts as well and do our part, right? Do our part. Mm-hmm. And be ourselves as the next part in the poem says, be yourself. Shed some light on yeah. this very simple yeah. words here. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I think of that, I, I think of like, which, which part of myself, you know, does it referring to? So I have this exercise that I go to, like, uh, again, I'm going to reference Eckhart Tolle in, in the beginning of the power of now. Um, he, he recounts you know, the time before he had his own awakening. And, and it was really spurred by a thought that he had. It, it was during a time of, of uh, intense depression, suicidal ideations. And he, and he had this thought that um, I cannot stand myself. And he thought how peculiar that is. You know, which one am I? Am I the I or am I the me in that sentence? And how we can split ourselves into two. But how many more of us are in there that we can identify ourselves as? You know, Alex Calvacante, I'm a male from Brazil. I won't say your age. <laughs> your role at the center, father. Uh, you know, like how many selves is that right there? And for me, I often, you know, like to think about, well, and maybe I'm wrong here, but like there's the authentic self, the real self. Like when we start peeling away the onion, who is the real me? You know, so I love considering like, who am I? The documentary you kept referencing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I am kind of, I don't want to be a spoiler, but like, you know, it kind of goes towards this direction. And I love this concept of I am for me. I think that is ultimately who I am is I am the essence of who I am. It goes beyond the material ways of defining me, the demographic ways of defining me, my role and position at work, uh, these other kind of things. So being our true self, I'm constantly working to, to get to know better that authentic self of who I am and then surface that part of me. So I'm still working on that, you know, myself. Me too. In that school, I'm a student you know, at taking one-on-one classes, right? <laughs> Trying to bring out the best version of myself 
and yeah. to be myself and understand who I am, right? Who am Understanding I? Yeah. as in the documentary, they say, what's wrong with the world, right? I am, and you know, what's what's going right with the world? I am too, right? I am the problem <laughs> in us and I am the solution. And going on here, moving forward, this is especially do not feign affection, neither be cynical about love. This is profound. Do not feign affection. So, so I guess like feign affection, F? Yeah, feign. From what I'm hearing then, is don't try to be like, dig me, check me out. Like I was uh, saying on the previous episode, you know, like a social media account is all my pictures plastered all over the place with me doing all these kind of wonderful things and really trying to, or try to be the center of attention, I suppose, trying to take, you know, uh, attention onto ourselves being, I guess, which really ultimately points to, you know, being super egoic. Like it's all about me having overinflated sense of, myself mm-hmm. whatever self that is yeah i don't know so so i think like not feigning uh, feigning affection uh for ourselves and what was the second part of that oh the beautiful one is neither be cynical about love oh. and how easy is it for me to be cynical about love because you know i can say and you know maybe because i feigned the affection that I, I felt burnt by love or i wasn't loved the right way that's not love really you know i guess in my you know is like the unconditional love would would tell me that I need to be giving love, not looking mm-hmm. to receive love. And that kind of goes to the beginning of that. And maybe I became cynical of love because I was trying to feign the affection, trying to feign the love, yeah. you know, more interested in receiving love than giving love. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe I became cynical um, because I was getting it all twisted and mixed up. It's not about receiving, but it's giving. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what, are you, yeah. what are your thoughts? It, it all makes that, sense, that right? Deep. These are understandings and, and different ways how we see this, right? And as I'm seeing now, it's like it's connected to the line where it says, be yourself, especially do not feign affection, not, neither be cynical about love. It's like it's being, being true, being real, being sincere, right? Do not fake being nice to somebody or being affection towards somebody another be cynical about love and you know we need to believe in love we need to feel in order to believe too right and to really to know love's existence right and to love is one of the most profound things that any being can can have you know and when you think about love i saw the other day so many ways of saying love right is how we show our care to others in many different ways you know and i i'm certain that even you know animals they feel love for sure you know they feel that energy and the feeling of love when you see pets showing so much care for their for their humans per se but also when you see nature in documentaries about uh different species how they take care of their youngling Mm -hmm. and how they care the other day i saw forget which documentary it was but it was a Oh, yes, was a Netflix, the Obama, the national parks, where they were showing in, in the Monterey Bay uh, National Park, this otter, Northwest Pacific otter, taking care of her baby on her belly, laying on the water, and then hiding her baby so she could go feed herself, and then coming back to get it, and taking care of it, making sure it was in the sun, and drying it up. The love of a mother towards a child of any species, you know, right. it's there, it's palpable, and then it's real and it's sincere. So it's, you know, the importance of being sincere is, is, is it's, it's a beautiful lesson too, I see, right? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and I think like, again, like thinking about the, you know, cynical of the times I've been cynical of it, those times where uh, I felt like I got burned by it or something. And then I put up these walls. Mm-hmm. And how many you know people or, or how many times have I blocked love because I was scared of getting hurt, scared of, of vulnerability, you know, allowing myself to be vulnerable to love again or to show love, mm-hmm. you know, and those yeah. kind of things. And, and showing love too, which, which I find is interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of this book called Love Languages. And the idea is like love has many different languages mm. that we can um, and all of us have a different way of speaking love and that we all have a different way that we prefer to receive love. And we all have a different way of expressing love. And oftentimes what happens, in, and I think this book was written for intimate relationships, is that aligning those love languages. So uh, you're with somebody who prefers, you know, to, to show love, you know, the love A, but you're with somebody that prefers to receive love B. You, you know, understanding that and aligning that like, oh, I, you know, I prefer to show love through doing A, but I need to show it through doing B because the person I, I love would rather receive it the B way mm-hmm. and vice versa, you know, and kind of aligning those different things is kind of the, you know, kind of the message of that. So I think maybe I became cynical at, at times uh, of love because like maybe I wasn't receiving it in the way that I thought I would rather receive it and someone was giving it in a way that I didn't connect with it and it's maybe aligning you know, love, it, it kind of jumps out to me as well as a prevention of, you know, being cynical about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see this poem, you know, how, how do we always connect this to the, to the work of, you know, the independent living movement, right? It's very much connected. I see about independent living skills, right? It's, it's receiving that counsel because so much of what we talk about in our classes too, is about self-love. This is about appreciation and it's about, being true to oneself about understanding how you know how fortunate and how capable we all can be and how able we all can be to do the things that we need to do and how these life lessons these are life lessons right because uh, it says do not be cynical about love for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment it is as perennial as the glass as the grass so love is is eternal it's perennial it's it's all encompassing right? It's really, we can allow ourselves to, to, to connect to the feeling of love. Mm-hmm. Very importantly, to love ourselves, to appreciate ourselves, to know that there's goodness in us, right? To know that there's the potential of goodness in us, and to know that there's potential in us, so we can become stronger within ourselves and, and believe in ourselves. That's a way of love in ourselves, believing that, believing that we can do something that we want to do for our own growth and well-being right what do you think that's about huge that? yeah. oh huge uh, the, the concept of self-love is a new one for me i'll be honest like mm-hmm. i never really put much thought for 50 years i'd say like this is a few years a couple of years ago where i started really giving the thought of loving myself like really serious attention if anything i've always steered clear from it because i've either found it too ooey gooey or that uh, my concept of self-love was very like oh that's super egoic that's super narcissistic there's enough people loving themselves in that way in this world i don't want to be contributing to that but i i think nowadays as i've examined it more it's more about like the love i have for my 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 sons um can i can i see myself the way that i love them and would want the same thing for myself that i would want for them 
can I be able to see it from that lens is kind of where I, I've evolved to at this point. But I'm still examining that. It's still something for me that doesn't come naturally. But I see uh, the importance of it when I see others. You know, like you were saying, like, you know, uh, here at the center and, and you're realizing and recognizing or helping other people to recognize their own self-worth, their own self-value, appreciating themselves. I, I find it easier when I have that focus on other people and encouraging them to have that for themselves than I do for myself. So it, it's a new one for me. But, you know, it definitely, I think, goes to the, the, the chorus, I guess it is, when, it, when this poem is turned into a song. Uh, and it, it says something to the effect that I have the right to be here. Mm-hmm. And, and I've heard that said by people with disabilities and, and people who have been marginalized somewhat frequently, kind of like, you know, like I have the right to be here when they're referring to themselves being in school or mm-hmm. you know, themselves having a job or just being out in the community where I feel like um, when, when I, you know, kind of quiz show them on what, what, what are you coming from? Of course you have the right to be here. Like, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, no, duh. Um, but for them, it's not. For them, it's like, you know, they haven't felt like they've had the right to be in school because they're not smart enough or to have a job because they're not qualified enough or to be out in the community engaging with, you know, just normal everyday activities that, you know, occur out in the community because they've been isolated. And, and they're almost like saying like, oh, my gosh, you know, I have the right to be here. So I almost connect the self-love to the, to the chorus a little bit as well to where yeah. it talks about I have the right you know, to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's that recognition, right? Because we do live in a world that sometimes we are very much uh, subject to encountering situations and people that want to challenge that notion that we love ourselves or that don't appreciate us. And then we may believe in their lack of appreciation for us and not have the love and and the appreciation for ourselves, right? Sure, Um, sure. Long time ago, uh, a person told me that, you know, if I, in a question of having more love for myself, the person said something that I never thought about. And he said, and he said, if you get up early in the morning and you take the time to go take a shower and to groom yourself and to get yourself ready for the world so you can go to work, you can believe that there's, you do have enough love for yourself to start with, right? So take from there and then build on it, right? And it's, the way I look at it too, is like the amount of ego and the amount of like self-importance that people may sometimes put themselves out in the world being selfish. And one may read that as being loving of oneself. I don't think that has anything to do with love. It has more to, you know, the ego and the selfishness of things yeah. and, and and people are subject to having. Because uh, love, I think it's something really high and, and much finer than that, right? And I'm still developing this process as well, you know, to have love for myself yeah. and, you know, to make sure that I get up every day, still take showers and grow myself and prepare myself out for the world. But also is to have that sense that, yes, I have a right to be here just like everyone else. And no matter if a person has a disability or not, we are all, we're all equal in many ways, right? And we all have equal rights, and are, are deserving of of justice, right? And and goodness in our lives, and to you know to to be the best that we can be, and and so that we can strive for high ideals, right? And in the continuation of it too, for example, here, which I believe is really interesting, is take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the the things of youth, right? Is to maintain that love, 
but also understand that when we're older, you know, sometimes we see people that are like, they age, but they feel like they keep doing the same things that when they were teenagers or in college <laughs> or that they don't want to grow up and, and, yeah. and they act in a way that, you know, they're almost fearful of growing up. Right. Yeah. But it's like taking kindly the counsel of the years. Right. I think that's, that's pretty, there's, that's deep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard uh, adolescence is one of the hardest phases of human growth and development. It's so hard mm. that some people never grow out of it. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we could be a 50 year old adolescent really, you know, at heart. And I, I'm, I'm subject to that. I like that. Take gracefully the counsel of the years. And, and it reminds me of this book I've been really psyched on that I've just been uh, diving into. It's called Strength to Strength. And this, it's the idea that in our development, we have two curves. You know, one that happens early on in our 20s and 30s where we're really proficient at what they call these like fluid skills, this being able to be very quantitative and whether it's even in music, like our skill development and these like you know, is very fast. And, but it peaks early and goes down over time. But then this other curve takes off, and that's more like a crystallized intelligence where we're able to put together a lot of different concepts and integrate them. It's like wisdom. You know, it becomes a second curve that people can jump onto. What I hear when I take you know, kindly the counsel of the years and, you know, to surrender to age and, get, and getting older, that's what I hear, mm -hmm. you know, is like, yes. you know, like, okay, you know, early on, we might be really like, even in, you know, athletics, you know, we can be really good at these like fundamental, like really good skills. But then over time, you know, they, that, as that diminishes, surrendering to wisdom, yeah, for me, surrender is not like um, passive resignation, as they're meaning it here. But it, rather, it, it's a letting go mm -hmm. and embracing embracing what is, you know, yeah. I mean, like father times undefeated to resist against that. And to, you know, like we live in a very youth dominated focused culture uh, is to uh, fight against reality. Mm -hmm. And every time I argue against reality, I end up losing. And to me, that's a losing argument, you know, is to, to for, try to stay forever young um, but, and rather surrender to it and, and grow wiser and yeah. well-aged yeah and and, and it's like in there it's the dichotomy almost like because we can be young in our feelings in our in our minds and yeah in our thoughts in a sense of like to keep open and to have that sense of youth in our sense. right but also there are things that i want that i want to surrender right i no longer need to be out in clubs when i was like 20 years old or 22 years old <laughs> when i'm 52 years old and thinking yeah, that I'm going to yeah. be like hip and cool. Right. Yeah. But, you know, but I enjoy being around young people. And like, like you mentioned uh, before about the youth um, and the joy in the previous episode about the youth leadership group and to be around that energy yeah. and to, yeah. so my youth can be, you know, even being older is supporting them in their youth. Right. And having yes. them having that space where they can feel safe, where they can be well and find friendship. Right. Yeah. There, there is something eternal about the spirit. I would say I'm just yes. missing the spirit. Like the, the, the spirit seems eternally young, like yeah. like youthful. Like and I and I hear this from other people. It's like, yeah, you know, my back hurts and this and that and the other, and but I I, I still feel the same way I did at 16 in some sense. Like yeah. you know that the the spirit is timeless. Yeah. You know that's within us. That seems almost eternal. Where you know the body certainly doesn't. The body keeps score <laughs> over the things that we've been through. Yeah. My father-in-law is 86 years old, and he's an older gentleman, but he's got a lot of strength, and he gets up early every day, and he goes out to his. Uh, he lives in the Amazon region of Brazil, and he goes to his piece of land, and he's taking care of the chickens, and 
and the corn that he planted in the manioc, right? So, and and he loves pulling pranks and making people laugh and everything. So nice. he maintains that youth, Very uh, the youthful yeah. feeling, you know, and being. And so there's a balance that we can we can reach, I think, right? Right. Uh, and and going into the next part, it says nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune. That's really high. It's very powerful too, right? Is to yeah. to what do you think? How do you how do you again? You know, I'm, I'm referencing a lot of like you know kind of stoic things, but that the, the, there is a saying that says you know adversity is a part of life, and don't pray for adversity not to happen, but rather pray that when it does happen, that you have the strength of character to endure through it, to be fortified ahead of the adversity. So taking care of our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our social health, when the weather's good, will give us a strong umbrella when the weather's bad, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. not so good and fortifies us for, for when it's, you know, to come. So it's kind of like inevitably misfortune will happen. You know, adversity or the challenges that we have in life, we're meant to face, to overcome and be victorious. You know, I could be subject to just wishing they don't happen. I wish that you know, I don't get sick, um, but I'm going to get sick. So I need to make sure before I get sick that I'm as well as I can be. Yeah, you um, might get so that sick, when, right? When, when, when I do, you know, it'll be easier for me mm-hmm. going into it. And, and I don't know. So that's what jumps out to me. Yeah. And the, the segue to this is, but do not distress yourself with imaginings, right? So you have to nurture the strength of spirits in, to, to shield you in, in sudden misfortune, right? But don't distress yourself with imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond the wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. So when, when you say that, again, uh, there's this uh, you know, Stoic and a Mark Twain saying that says, you know, we tend to suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. Mm. Uh, Mark Twain, uh, I think, said something to the effect that I've suffered more. I've had a lot of suffering in my life, most of it for which never happened. You know, for instance, like last, last Friday, we're recording this on a Thursday. So towards the end of the business day, I got some, you know, news that that wasn't going to be good. I didn't know what it was, um, but I was going to find out come Monday. You know, they're, they're like, oh, man, you know, there's a check in the mail that's going to come due Monday and it's not going to be good. And I didn't know what it was there. I had to sit with that all weekend. Right. And no matter how much I stressed about it, how much anxiety I put towards it, how much I was overwhelmed by it, it wouldn't change what came Monday. And what was I doing over the weekend? I was at a birthday party. I was at the beach. You know, I could be in those moments worried about what was going to happen Monday and suffer in imagination uh, of what this could be and what was coming. Uh, But what good would that do? It wasn't going to change anything. It was going to take me out of being present with my kids and all these other kind of things. So I found myself constantly being very aware of my thoughts and reeling myself back in over worrying about what was going to come Monday instead of adding to the news. Said, just be present and let go and, and not resist, you know, what is. So I find that to be very powerful, mm-hmm. that we can suffer often more in our own imagination than we do in reality. Indeed, indeed. And and the thoughts, you know, they have a way of like almost having a domino effect too, you know, depending on what kind of Get spun track we, yeah. we, we go on, you know. You go on a negative track, all of a sudden it starts like, you know, falling the dominoes. Snowballing, yeah. yeah. But if you keep positive, find ways to do that, then it's a lot easier than to, okay, yeah. it's a, more like instead of being a snowball, it's like a stairway going up or thinking of better things, right? So it's, it's a choice, right? 
no matter more than what happens to me is what I do, what happens to me. Right. Yeah. And one thing here that it says is many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. It, to me, it's a counsel even within that. It's like we have to rest. We have to take care of ourselves. Right. Make sure that we're not so overwhelmingly tired and mm. alone and feeling lonely. Like if we're feeling lonely, you need to reach out to people. Yeah. Seek help when we need to. It's OK to ask for help. Right. And to to reach out. And if we need it, take care of ourselves, have love, enough love for ourselves to know when we need help. Right. And make sure that we're taking care enough, enough care of ourselves. So we're not so because I know when I have situations where I have very little sleep and I'm so tired, my thoughts like they run, they run amok sometimes. Absolutely. You know? So I have to like, but when I'm rested, I'm stronger. And beyond the wholesome discipline, be gentle with ourselves, right? Be gentle with yourself. So the importance of that self-love is also to be gentle with ourselves, right? Not easy to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, you know, underscore what you're saying there in terms of it's okay to reach out and ask for help. You know, when, we, when we're talking about disability, um, you know, the most common uh, form is mental health, you know, conditions and the stigma that's associated with it. And, you know, asking for help for some may be a barrier that they see that it's a weakness and this that, and the other. And I hope we're coming uh, farther along nowadays to destigmatize the asking for help. Um, needing help and putting ourselves in a position to be able to do that. Um, because I think now more than ever, you know, with all the uh, you know, stress that's going on that's circulating and the anxiety, we do need to be reaching out. I hate to think that there, there still exists this barrier of, of asking for help because we're worried that it, you know, it looks like, like weakness. And um, it's just so important for people to, to understand that, you know, we, you know, and if it is fear in there uh, and asking for help, you know, I just uh, highly encourage everyone to lean into that fear and that vulnerability with courage. You know, it does take a lot of courage, I guess, you know, to ask for help. It does. Um, especially, you know, it can be for men, as people that might have disabilities and, and worried about what other people think and, you know, coming across as quote unquote weak when it's not. It's a sign of strength to ask for help, to, to be able to do that in humility uh, as well. So I just want to underscore what you said there and the importance of that. True, Tony. And this reminds me, you know, to do a shout out, you know, for some of the people, like, for example, here we have at the Center for Nepenthe in North Central Florida, we have Mr. Mark Brisbane, who's like one of my heroes too. somebody. Friend has, of the show. Yeah. 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 Who's, why is he one of my heroes? Because he's somebody who's gone through a lot of adversity and has got a heart of gold, you know, and is willing to help people out, go the distance whenever he's able to. And he, he has the core, he's a manager of core services and within information and referral, he helps a lot of people on a daily, weekly basis, right? So people reach out to him with all sorts of needs and and he tries to figure out a way, you know, with support of Seda as well, who is another gentle warrior there that's helping out people, right? And then we have Eric at the paratransit team who will sit for an interview with paratransit and will listen to people to as long as they need to. And the other day he was doing an interview and he was definitely there for a while and, you know, at the end of the interview, and I could tell uh, from a distance that it was going really well. And at the end, the gentleman that he interviewed says, man, I loved our conversation. I really thank you for listening to me and everything. And I said to Eric, said, great job, you know, because sometimes people just need somebody to listen to them and to be able to be to present s- with them, to be present yeah. with them, you know, and that's what I, I have so much respect and appreciation for all these folks. 
And that's a form of people reaching out, you know, like, mm-hmm, so yeah. yeah, we might be uh, meeting with people to, to do an intake and, and just get them, you know, enrolled into a service. Mm-hmm. But then during that intake, that could be like a, the, the time in someone's day where that, that's the only time someone's really listening to them. Yeah. And that could make a world of difference to them. A huge difference. Like, oh my gosh, someone's actually present with me. Yeah. Because they're kind of taking this information, you know, it might lead to a, you know, a conversation about, you know, what's going on in their life and taking interest, genuine interest. And people can tell when you're, you're present with them and, and listening to what they yeah. have to say. And mm-hmm. I often say that to, you know, to staff, but like, especially like, you know, people like Eric, who, who I hope understand that value that we're bringing to people. Mm -hmm. It's not just that we're enrolling them into this service, which is awesome for their independent living skills, but we're actually present with them as another fellow human being and just presence. Like Mm -hmm. even with my kids, half I think of what parenting is all about is just being there and not like in my head somewhere else, thinking about somewhere else, you know, Mm -hmm. worrying about what might happen on Monday where I'm, no, I'm present here. I'm with you. And they, I feel like there's an intuitive way as humans that we can tell when someone's with us and focused on what we're talking about and having to say and present in the conversation, or if they're, they're there, but they're kind of checked out, they're thinking about something else, you know, and, right. and there's so much value in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I told Eric, you know, that person I felt that he left feeling better than when he arrived, right? You know, because he had such a great, fun conversation with Eric. Making that connection. It's huge. It's more, more important than ever. Like you talked about loneliness earlier. I was reading some research that was saying like loneliness has the negative harmful effects on us the, to the level that smoking does. You know, they're talking about how, you know, it can lead to almost like four years of life lost off of our lifespan, you know, if we feel lonely, which is around the range of smoking. That's a huge one. All right, Alex, I think we got to start putting a wrap on this one, man. I could talk forever on I this. I know. We're going to put people to fall asleep if you, if you don't you know, <laughs> but are there any parting uh, thoughts or you know ends to this poem we need to put a bow on yeah i would say just let me just read the end of it and just like let that resonate right so it concludes with the chorus where it says and this is what i really hope that our listeners can take to heart this is this you are a child of the universe no less than the trees and the stars you have a right to be here and whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. So therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. So this is Alex saying now, you can believe in, you know, believing something, believing goodness, believing love, believing, you know, a higher power, believing nature, believing Mother Earth, believing something positive to help us move forward. This is Alex saying, but continue here with the poem. It says here, in whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul. With all its sham and judgery and broken dreams, it is still, it is still a beautiful world. Be careful, strive to be happy. So these are the parting words finishing up this poem. Wow. One of the things that, that just really jumps out to me is that we literally are children of the universe. Like when we think about how, I mean, astrophysicists and physiologists all agree, we are literally made up of stardust. After billions of years of stars being formed and exploding out into the universe, the iron that is in our blood, the calcium that's in our bones, the phosphorus that's in our DNA, the carbon that is in our cells, all literally come from stars and we literally are the universe coming together in these human forms that has consciousness 
And we literally are the universe itself being conscious of itself. I think that is so powerful from a very deep way that we literally are the universe becoming aware of itself and that we're, we're children and we have the right to be here. The, also the notion that it's unfolding to this day, like the story isn't over. It's still continuing on and it's, it's continuing on in the way that it's meant to be and to not resist that. To resist that is to suffer and to go against the, the natural order of, of the universe. And we are literally that. Yeah. It's amazing. And in this process, we can try the very best we can to be the best version of ourselves, right? <laughs> we know that we all are doing the best we can. We are human beings need, they're imperfect, but we can strive to be better whenever possible, right? And Tony, so enjoyed this conversation and listening to you and really appreciate the opportunity to be here and having this conversation. Uh, well, I... I, I... You know, intentionally, uh, again, this is an experiment, part two uh, episode of this experiment of, you know, seeking to learn more. I value the wisdom that you have and that you share. I see you as being very humble, uh, always being a learner and, and to share that, you know, what you learn and to acknowledge that you're still learning, to bring this all together, too, in the lens of disability and independent living. It's phenomenal, Alex. I look forward to doing more of these with you. I appreciate, I appreciate your kind words. And like I said before, I'm working, hoping to someday be the goodness that you see in me and recognize the goodness too that I have. And, and I appreciate your kindness and want to be better as I am. All right. We'll be striving to do that, striving for happiness, as it says. And we'll be taking this onward, upward to the universe, to the stars from where we came. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Have a good one. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.